0: Standing on the starting line, it seemed surreal. The moment had finally arrived. This was state finals. Standing there at the starting line of the 4x800 relay race, this seemed like a far distant place from where they started. This team of four high school girls had battled through qualifiers and regionals And though they were a long shot, they had finally made it to the 2009 Kansas State High School Track and Field Championship Final. The team, comprised of four girls, Allie, Bethany, Mallory, and Krista, stood on the starting line, of course, one starting off first, knowing that they were a long shot because they were not even ranked in the top six teams of this competition. They had, no, uh, 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 they had no business being there, but they had somehow managed to qualify. And then the gun went off, and the race began. The first two legs of the race, which is uh, uh, 800 meters, two laps across. You have probably, uh, some of you witnessed the Olympics, two circles around that big track. The first two legs of the race for the Maranatha High School Girls four by eight hundred team was a great success. They were off to a flying start, probably their best time in school history. But it was all for naught because several other schools were in the running and one in particular, Saint Mary's had the best team. They were lengths ahead. They were the favorites the favorites to win. When the third person in the race, the third person in in the race grabbed the baton for St. Mary's, the number one team, the favorite team, she took off like a rocket. Her name was Emalia, and Emalia took off like a rocket. And she was a first-time runner. She was a freshman, first-time runner for the team, and she was determined that she was gonna n- not let this team down. And she took off like a rocket, leaving everyone behind, running so fast that she created a huge in what seemed like an insurmountable gap for the rest of the teams running on the track. Undeterred, the Maranatha High School girls team kept running their race. Third a person on the relay team decided to just keep going and, 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 and fight. They were doing so good that they looked like they were in the running for third place. St. Mary's runner way out front Then Maranatha and Olpe right behind. But something weird happened as as they were running the second lap of the third person in the race. Imali White had run out so fast, and if you know anything about track racing, there are short distances in which you give it all you've got, and there are longer distances, like the 800, where you have to pace yourself. And she had run so fast in the first lap that during the second lap, her body began to give out. she began gasping for air, and then as she was closing the second gap, getting ready to hand off the baton, her teammate, Faith Miller, waiting for her, saw her coming close, but when she was about 50 yards, she started to convulse, and she fell over. Faith looked back, urging her on, and watched as Amalia mustered to get on her feet, still with the lead in the race, and and, and crawled and stumbled and made her way just to the edge of the exchange zone, where her body finally gave out, and she literally passed out, hands stretched out just before the zone. While all this was taking place, Opie's uh, runners and Maranatha's runners were still on the track, noticing that something had broken down uh, in in the race of the girls ahead of them. They kept up their speed, and they kept moving fast forward. Faith Miller, realizing that something had gone wrong, went back to the edge of the exchange zone, and she reached over across and grabbed the baton from her uh, almost unconscious teammate. While she had stopped to go back and get the baton, the runners from OP took advantage and passed her. Right next to them was Ali—I'm uh, well, sorry—was uh, was Bethany was Ali Bailey. Sorry, she was taking the baton from her uh, teammate Bethany Zarda at Maranatha High School uh, Girls Track Running Team, and both of them run past St. Mary's runners. Suddenly, they were in the lead. Opie's runner had made it past and was in the front, and now it was a completely different race. Allie Bailey was now in second place, but she noticed that as um, uh, Faith Miller grabbed the baton, she made a charge. She had lost ground going from first place to now third place, and Faith Miller made a charge as she started zooming down the lane. Before long, Opie's running, tired out, trying to keep uh, Faith Miller at bay, and she gassed out, and suddenly, Allie Bailey was in second place. And both of them got passed by Faith Miller, the girl that went back and grabbed the baton. She was so fast that though she had given a 50-yard head start, she caught up to them and went past them all the way to the end of the tape, Running across the finish line, victorious. Number one rated team had come across in first place. Opie's runner had tired out, which means that Allie Bailey had placed the best finish of her life, second place at state finals. It seemed like an unlikely story because they were not even ranked. They weren't even supposed to be here. But somehow in all this commotion, uh, they had managed to get second place. The judges conferred, the scores were being posted, the girls were ready to be congratulated. And just uh, some 30 minutes later, when they were getting ready to announce on the podium, as uh, teammates were gathered together to stand up on the podium to receive their gold medals, St. Mary's runners ready to stand up on the top level and receive their gold medal, and Mary and runners happily waiting for their silver something even stranger took place. The judges conferred and they announced that during the exchange of St. Mary's Runners when Faith Miller had gone back to get the baton from her passed out teammate, her toe stepped across the white line of the exchange zone and they were now disqualified. Suddenly, the favorites, first place, were out of the race, which meant that Allie Bailey, Bethany Zarda, Mallory Keith, and Krista Courtney were now the gold medal winners. From last all the way to first. An amazing story! An American story! one that we love because we have uh, right here in these high school girls, the American dream, how if you hang in there and if you fight and you take advantage of every opportunity that's laid before you, you can make it from last all the way to first. And there they were, suddenly being thrust onto the top of the podium and given gold medals, 2009 Kansas State. Track high school 4x800 girls champions. I know it's a mouthful. They were excited. I mean, uh, this is what uh, athletes dream of you know, that day where thousands of people are watching and you get to put on that gold medal. They were thrilled. And this was a win for the ages, for their high school, for uh, their city for their family and for the friends and for everyone who witnessed how though they were uh, um, certainly uh, not deserving, certainly because they were not the fastest runners, but though they had uh, been outclassed by Faith Miller and how quickly she had caught up and passed them, they hung in there. They stayed persistent. And the odds completely against them, somehow they had managed to get up on the podium It's a story and the type of story that we like to hear here in North America because we love listening to stories and the ideas that you can make it from nothing to something, from last to first, from rags to riches. It's the essence of the American dream. Sometimes we don't necessarily care how you get there as long as you get there. These girls were now standing on the podium receiving their gold medals. This was the moment of their life. It's an American story, an American dream. Fight hard, hang in there, take advantage of whatever opportunity, even if it's someone else's loss, step forward and claim your gold. I think that James and John would have fit perfectly in our society, in our Life here in California in our American dream. Because I think James and John had exactly what it takes to be an American. Check out their story, if you will. Uh, Mark chapter ten. We'll pick up the story in verse um, thirty-five. James and John were two disciples of Jesus. And as you can tell uh, as we read the story, I think they had some American in them. Yes, they're from the Middle East. But, but listen, listen to the story, and you'll see that they have some American roots in them. Uh, Mark chapter 10, if you don't bring a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. I strongly encourage you to read the Bible. Make sure that uh, you read it for yourself. And don't just take my words for it. Uh, John, I mean, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 35. The Bible says that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus to ask him a question. Now, James and John have their place amongst the 12. These are the 12 uh, uh, that that were considered the inner circle of Jesus. He had 12 best friends, BFFs if you want to call them, people that went with him wherever he went, and uh, that he instructed and invested himself into. Now, James and John have some notoriety, but they're not the most important people in the group. The most prominent role is reserved for Peter, who had the biggest mouth and usually was all over the place, and we, we know the most about him. James and John are in the story, and we hear a little bit about them, but, but this, is, this is where we kind of catch a glimpse of their character and what they're like. So take a look. James and John, uh, sons of Zebedee, came to him, Jesus, and they said, we want to ask you a question. Now, just a little bit of backdrop. Just before this happened, Jesus had been training them, teaching them, preparing them that something big was going to go down. They were on their way to Jerusalem. Uh, This was probably their last journey to Jerusalem because they were headed towards the Passover and Jesus was going to be crucified and he knew that. So he had been trying to warn them. And in the verses just before the story that we read, he explicitly says the Son of Man is going to be crucified. The Son of Man is going to be killed. So you guys need to be prepared for what's going to take place. And it seems that James and John kind of captured a little bit of the situation and they said to themselves, something's going down. Something is about to take place and we're not really sure when the dust settles how everything is going to shake out. So let's make sure we get what we're looking for right now while we still can. And they approached and they said, Jesus, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. It's kind of funny. I know it's translated in such a way that it makes no sense in English It's probably better in Hebrew, but they they said, we want to ask you something, and we want to make sure that you answer us, and you give us what we want. Now, here's the first clue, because to me, that sounds like a very, well, a very American prayer. Dear God, please give me what I want. I mean, uh, that's kind of what we're taught to pray. Dear God, please do this for me, and make sure I get this, and, and give me this, and give me that, and I want this, and I want that. Help me out through this situation, in Jesus' name, Amen. But they were pretty bold. They said, before we tell you what we want, we want some guarantees that you're going to give us whatever we ask. Parents, have your kids ever come up to you with that kind of request? Ma, I want to ask you something. but before I, I wanna, Promise me you'll say yes. Parents, have your kids ever do that? Promise me you'll say yes before I ask. What is, what's your question? No, promise you're going to say yes. Or the other one that's similar to it, well, before I tell you, promise me you're not going to get mad. I like that one promise so me you're not going to get mad what you know, <laughs> they're pretty bold before we ask you we want you to give us some assurances that you're going to give us whatever we, you're going to do for us whatever we ask and jesus said what is it that you want from me what do you want from me it's not different from what jesus might say to you if you had the opportunity to see him face to face he might ask you the same question what are you looking for well you're here I'm here. What do you really want? Jesus said to James and John, What do you want me to do for you? And they replied with, with what I would picture, a big smile on their face, chest out, you know, a, a, a smug grin saying, Look, let one of us sit at your right hand and let the other one sit at your left when you come in your glory. They said, we just heard you talking about the fact that uh, you're going to get killed, blah, blah, blah. But then the Son of Man is going to be revealed in glory and all this amazing things. We have this sense that right now you're just a poor man. But you've been promising that somehow things are going to change. And one day you're going to be some kind of king and, and something important. We think you're bound to be the next president of these United States. So we want to make sure we get close. And I want to be state secretary and, um, you know, defense minister. That's what I think when I watch the Republican National Convention or the Democratic National You hear these speakers, and it's like they're auditioning for a job. I don't know if you, know you watch any of that. They're out there stumping for the president. But I think they're hoping that they may get a good post, you know. An ambassador, not to Libya, but to somewhere nice. And these two guys, like, like good Americans, come to Jesus and they say, we're just going to cover our bases. We're not really sure what you mean, you're, what's going to happen to you. But just in case it's true, and you do in fact become something big, just in case you actually do get some glory, we want to make sure that one of us is on your Right? And one of us is on your left. Meaning we want to be right there. We want to ride your coattails. We want you to guarantee us a spot when you're in power. And Jesus responds by saying, I don't think you know what you're asking for. This is verse 38. You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Jesus responds in a way that challenges the intent of their heart because he, he understands that they don't know what Jesus is about and what he's about to do. What Jesus was saying that was going to happen to him was not at all what they thought was going to happen to him. They thought he was going to somehow shoot up in popularity and take political power and have financial success, political success, social success, and they wanted to be right there with him. So they said, we want to, we, we want to go with you. We want to be right next to you. We want to be there. And Jesus says, I don't think you understand what I'm about to go through. The cup that I drink is an expression for what is going to happen to me. The baptism that I am baptized with is a a symbol of what he was going to submit himself to. And they didn't understand. Jesus says, can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism? And they answered, oh, yeah. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Nobody caught that. Thank you. Just one. You guys are not political at all, right? You're not voting Democrats or Republicans in here. Okay. Anyway, we move on. Uh, They said, yes, we can. Jesus says, do you even understand what's going to happen to me? And you want to ride this out with me? Are you sure that's what you want? And they said, you know we want that. You know we can do it. Jesus says, fine then. You will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. He gives them a riddle, which of course they don't understand. And then, here's what happens next. The other disciples get wind that James and John had kind of saddled up to Jesus and said, Hey, by the way, before anyone else claims, we want dibs. We want to ride shotgun. We want dibs. If something good happens to you, we want to be in on the ground floor. We want to be right there. If, in fact, glorious things come your way, we want to be right there with you. And the other ten heard that James and John had been so bold. And the Bible tells us they became indignant. That's a nice way of saying they got really, really mad. They were upset. And they got upset not because James and John had asked for this. You know why they got upset? Because they beat him to it. They beat him to the punch. They got upset that James and John actually had the audacity to ask Jesus for what the rest of them actually wanted. And they became indignant. And then Jesus gets them together, verse 42, and says, You know, he's looking at them, understanding their argument, and, then he, and he tells this story. He says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. But I don't want it to be this way with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must first be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus calls his disciples together, and then he calls out inside of them something that Jesus saw as a tremendous detriment to his kingdom, but something that is very prevalent and something that we even celebrate in our culture, the me first mentality. In our culture, in our day and age, whether we're in religious circles or not religious circles, uh, there's, a, there's an idea that pervades, that says that I am the most important, and that my wishes, preferences, and my success is that what I have to be concerned with most of all. And so we applaud people who manage to somehow claw their way through life, even if it's at the expense of others. And we applaud people who somehow can manage to make it from rags to riches on luck or, or on on. Cheating? Whatever it takes, we applaud people who somehow managed to make it to the top. We don't care how they get there, we just care that they're at the top. Because we celebrate a me first mentality. It's the American dream. I matter. I this, and I that. We celebrate that culture. But Jesus calls it out in his disciples and he says, you don't understand that my kingdom is completely different. He gathers his disciples together and he says, that's how it is out there. That's how it is out there. Everyone is trying to get One up on the others. Everyone is trying to exercise their authority. I am more important to you. I am older than you. I matter more than you. You need to do what I say. Listen to me. My wishes are more important. I don't care if I impinge on your particular freedoms. My needs, my wants, everything that is me comes first. And Jesus says, in my kingdom, it's not like that. In my kingdom... Whoever wants to be great must be a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Now let me translate that concept there, slave of all, because we don't have slavery. But being the slave of all means that everyone else gets to go before you. Everyone else's needs, wants, or whatever their desires are, come before yours. Jesus says, in my kingdom... Whoever wants to be first must be last. Now, why does that matter to you and me? It's actually really important. Because I think that in some ways, though we believe in God and believe in the principles and read our Bible, we have been lulled into accepting the prevailing wisdom in our culture. That it is I and my wants and needs that have to come before I do something for somebody else. I'm looking to make sure that I get filled before I am concerned with someone else's hunger. I'm looking to make sure that I am pleased before I am concerned with someone else's comfort. Yes, sometimes we might give our children this position. We might want to make them happy, but it's still a very selfish position because they are my children rather than someone else's children. And we have been suckered into believing that it is okay for us to live out that philosophy. We do it in church as well. We come in and we're concerned that the church and the musicians are playing music that I like, that make me happy, or make me feel like I've been in a worshipful place before I am concerned with how someone else might interpret that. Or whether or not it benefits somebody else. We are driven by a me-first mentality. And Jesus says, that's not at all what my kingdom is about. Because in my kingdom, the one who wishes to be great must first be a servant. You know what a servant is? You know what a servant does? Serves? Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. Yes, a servant serves. A servant... Gives and does for others someone who does for himself is not a servant a servant is someone who does for others and jesus says here you must if you want to be great if you want to be first you must be a servant to all to all because even the son of man that's him did not come to be served, but to serve. See, we, we celebrate that, right? We, we do it, you know, we, we, we sing songs about it. We have this picture of the cross. We, have Jesus, we celebrate Jesus at Christmas, and we are so grateful that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that he would come down to earth for whoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And, oh, Jesus is just so amazing that Jesus would do this. But Jesus says, you, you, you know what I did, but you don't understand why I do it and what that means for you. If you want to be my right and my left, if you want to be in my kingdom, if you want to be associated with who I am, you have to understand what I'm doing. I did not come and, and, and give my life on this cross so that you could put me around your neck in a little symbol and claim glory for what I did. I did not come. Just so that you could shout my name and say, "Oh hell the power of Jesus' name, I did not come to be glorified, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve." Did you get that? Jesus says, "I came to do something for you. In my kingdom, this is what we're asking for. We live in a society that celebrates people that go from last to first. We celebrate first place. Second, third, fourth, we could care less about them. We only remember champions. We're driven by a me first mentality even here. But Jesus says, that's not what I wanted. That's not what I did. If that's what I wanted to do, I would have stayed up there where all the angels sing my name day and night. Instead, I came down here to do something for you. To be ridiculed, perhaps. To be put down. Yes, to be humiliated. Because I wanted to do something for you. And if you're going to be part of my kingdom, that's how we do it. Jesus says, if you want to be great, you must first be a slave of all. Why is this important to us? I'm going to tell you. We are, obviously, as you know, you've heard, we're participating in a... Uh, a month of emphasis on servanthood. Because I have found it strange, even in my own life, that we can talk about these things so eloquently and sing about them, but then have nothing to actually back it up. And so I want to challenge myself and you as a church that we start living by this principle instead of just saying the principle. And so we have issued a challenge for you to participate with us in uh, joining with uh, Feeding America and, and raising awareness for those that are hungry and are, and right here, not across the world, but right here in San Diego County, and, and to, and to uh, donate food and donate of your time. So we're asking you to sign up after church. Susanna's going to be there, and you can sign up to volunteer because we want you to get a sense of what Jesus means. So stop thinking about yourself for a minute and start thinking about others first. Now, I know how this works. Look, I, I'm in the same boat with you. They say, food drop. and you go, okay, let's go, to the, let's go to the cupboards. Let's see what dusty cans we can find. You know, those, those baked beans that we got from someplace that we're never going to eat, so let's don't eat them. But that's not what Jesus does here. He doesn't just give us leftovers. God doesn't say, I have thousands of, uh, you know, angels. Let me give you the least of these. No, no, he gives us his own son. That's the kind of example that we have here. And Jesus says, in my kingdom, that's how it works. You've got to put others before yourself. You've got to go from first to last. That's what really makes the difference. That's how it matters. I was telling my teenagers about some of our projects, and I said, uh, we're doing a one-day mission trip uh, at the end of this month, and I explained what we'd be doing. We're going to be going out and helping uh, clean up the community. And one of my teens said, why would we want to do that? And the answer is yes. According to our prevailing philosophy, there's no reason for us to give up of our time. But there is a reason. It's Jesus Christ who says, if you want to be great, you've got to serve. We want to develop a servant's heart. That means learning to put yourself behind and let others' needs and others' challenges be what drives you. So Jesus says, be a slave to all. This is why we do it. This is why. So Ali, Bethany, and Mallory, Krista were on the stand receiving their gold medals. But something happened even stranger than all that had been a prelude. As the girls from the Maranatha High School track team received their gold medals, and as they looked, they huddled with each other right on the podium. And as they were talking, uh, the girls from, Beth, uh, from uh, St. Mary's, they were bawling, they thought they were in first place, but they had just been disqualified. They were just off the stage crying and bawling, blaming each other for what had happened. And then these four girls did something really unusual in high school athletics. They stepped off the podium, took off their gold medals, and pressed them in the hands of St. Mary's athletes, those had just been disqualified. Parents, coaches, News reporters from the local paper were wondering what was going on, and they approached the girls and said, why would you give up your gold medals? You won them fair and square. And the girls said, it's not really important if you win. It's how well you run. And they ran faster and better than us. They deserved to the win. They gave up their gold medals. Not concerned with being necessarily in the first place, but doing their best. The funny thing is, that spirit is so rare in our culture. But it shouldn't be rare here amongst us. This is what should define us as a church and as a people. That we are not concerned with whether or not my needs are met, whether or not I'm being made happy, but whether we are meeting the needs of others. And you know what, friends and family? It's really not that hard. Four-year-old Hannah was volunteering with her mom at a soup kitchen. Her mom brought her along. Part of their church was out there at a soup kitchen. And four-year-old Hannah was helping her mama serve some soup. As a man was passing by uh, to get his, his bowl of soup, Hannah noticed that his toes were sticking out of his very worn shoes. She noticed that his toes were sticking out because there was no socks to cover them. And she said to her mom, Mom, his toes must be cold. Why doesn't he have any socks? Her mom said, you know, sweetie, sometimes people are poor and socks get worn down and they just don't have enough. But he's cold, she protested. Her mom said, I know, and that's why we're trying to give him some soup. Hannah looked down at her feet and saw her little pink socks, and she said to her mom, but I have pinks. I have socks. Can I give mine to him? Obviously, her size didn't fit his feet. But little four-year-old Hannah and her mom began a project called Hannah's Socks. Google it. Find their webpage. Together, they've created a nonprofit, and they have uh, uh, gathered 45,000 socks to date for um, people that are homeless and in need of socks. Why? Because, you know what? Little kids don't see roadblocks. They only see Opportunities. And God wants us to have that same kind of spirit. God wants us to see needs and say, well, I, I'm not sure that I can do everything, but I can do something. Yeah. Yes, we're not going to cure hunger in San Diego, but we can do something. I can give of my time and of my resources. I can, if at least for one day this month, put myself in the back seat and let someone else drive what I do. That's the spirit. Jesus says that's the spirit if you want to be first you've got to be last you've got to be a servant and I'm challenging you and myself not to be driven by that me first mentality but to be driven by the words of Jesus Christ whoever wants to be first must be a servant